following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. Don't keep it to yourself. Give it away to somebody else. It'll make their day. Those are lyrics from a song that Mark and I sang with a singing and social action group in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. All of the songs we sang in that group were an attempt to make a difference in the world. I wonder if we ever had any rich fools in our audiences that just didn't get it. Today's scripture from Luke follows a passage in which Jesus is giving a sermon with instructions for his disciples on how best to live their lives. Someone in the crowd calls out to him and demands, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, Jesus was understandably annoyed at being interrupted and tells the man that it is not his job to act as judge in matters such as these. Was this person listening at all to what Jesus was saying? Or was he only thinking of himself and feeling that he was missing out on something his brother had that he wanted? The message version of the Bible interprets interprets Luke 12, 15 in this way. Speaking to the people, he went on, Take care. Protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have even if you have a lot. Did anyone else feel a little twinge when hearing that? I admit I did. It happens to me when I'm in a quilt shop or a bookstore. Just one more piece of fabric for my stash. Just one more book. I'll read it someday. Those may seem like little bits of greed but the trash and treasure sale will be benefiting from my overabundance next month. But that's not quite the point Jesus was trying to make. He uses the opportunity of the interruption to teach even more about greed and sharing the gifts we have been given. Here's the interpretation of Luke 12, 16 through 21 from the message. The farm of a certain man, certain rich man, produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself. What can I do? My farm isn't, my barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather all my grain and goods, and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Just then, God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die, and your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. While this rich man was building bigger and better barns for himself, what was he storing up with God for his life in eternity? Would he get to heaven expecting to find a beautiful barn filled with all that he felt entitled to? Or 
would he find a ramshackle falling apart barn that would not be fit to keep any harvest in? Much of the Gospel of Luke speaks to the problem of wealth when it forms a barrier between us and God, when we have more intimacy with things rather than with God. Luke 24 tells us, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And what about the story of Lazarus and the rich man? Lazarus is with Abraham when old man Dives cries out from hell for relief from his thirst and torment. Abraham answers, Child, remember that in your lifetime you got the good things and Lazarus got the bad things. It's not like that here. Here he's consoled and you're tormented. But by then it was too late for old man Dives to fix it for himself or for his brothers. Then there is the young ruler who asks Jesus what he must do to obtain eternal life. He feels he cannot afford the price. More and more today, it seems our society would say, well, what's wrong with that? Aren't we supposed to save for our future so we don't become a burden? Shouldn't we set our children up for their future? After all, we work hard for our money and our belongings. Well, of course, Having wealth is not the problem, nor is planning for the future. Those things only become a problem when we let them take over our focus, take over the focus of our lives, or when we think of our riches as ours alone, or when our focus is diverted from a life lived in Christ. It is a problem when we place our security in our possessions rather than in God. God reminds the rich fool just how much vanity and inflated pride in oneself has taken over his life when God tells him his life is ending now. He may be thinking, seeing that I must leave it to those who come after me, and who knows whether they will be rich, wise, or foolish, yet they will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. Another mistake that the rich fool makes is that he forgets the people who helped plant and harvest all his grain. He forgets that there is a community around him that he might share his abundance with. He has isolated himself from excuse me, he has isolated himself from those around him and from God. And I actually wonder, did he even stop to think? that if if not used quickly enough, the stored grain might spoil and become useless to anyone and everyone. But most important of all, the rich fool forgets God's part in all that he has. Even though his barns are filled to overflowing, the rich man's life, or psyche, from the Greek, which is also commonly translated as soul, is empty. By dismissing the people around him and the world around him, he dismisses God and the true joy that can be found even in the little things of everyday life. Our planned future may, our planned future may never come from 
may never, excuse me, may never come. But God is with us every day when we focus our hearts and our lives in him. Our possessions bring us joy for a little while, but they don't fill our emptiness. In the late 4th century, Augustine wrote, You have made us for ourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find you. God doesn't deny us well-being ever, but God does remind us where our real security lies. When we read further in Luke 12, Jesus gives reassurance to his disciples and to us. Don't worry about the small stuff. When we strive toward God's kingdom, we will have all we need. Peggy L. Shriver, in her poem, Who Are We?, from Pinches of Salt, expresses our brokenness and how reaching toward Christ, growing in Christ, living in Christ, gives us hope that our divisions will be mended. Who are we? We are Christ's broken body, a divided household, a tangle of branches on the true vine, but still, we are the church. Dare we hope, the hope to which we have been called, to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the body, rightly joined and knit together, grows through due activity and upbuilds itself in love. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, re-emphasizes the necessity of focus on living a life in Christ. The best way to do this is to get rid of all the things that distract us and live a new life in Christ. Forget old habits that pull us away from a good life in Christ. Take up new habits that don't divide us from one another or from God. Concentrate on living a new life that glorifies God in your actions. We can no longer isolate ourselves from each other. We are all alone. We are all one in Christ. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free, mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined for, by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. None of our man-made labels or divisions are important. By isolating himself from his community, the rich fool kept his own agenda and lost his connection with God. He gave up a life, lived in compassion and kindness, sharing with others in Christ. He gave up on life. By sharing our possessions, our gifts, and living lives of justice and loving kindness that are centered in God, we can look forward to a future that is richer and more beautiful than anything we could ever imagine in our very wildest dreams. Will you pray with me, please? Creator God, beloved Savior, Holy Spirit, you bless us with beauty in each day. You fill our lives with all we need. We praise you with all our hearts for your gracious love and generosity. Help us see the ways in which we can share the gifts you have given us. 
May we avoid greed and live in community with all your children around the world. In our prayers, we remember those who are in special need and ask for your gentle spirit to touch them with comfort and healing. Today, we especially pray for Carl Crawford, Crawford, Jessica Bennett, and Barbara Farrell. Lord, we are gracious for the connections we share with our global church, for together we are able to serve you in greater ways. Today we pray for the Burton City United Methodist Church in our Canal District. Bless the work and outreach that they do. God, we live in a broken and hurting world. Many times we don't know where to turn, and yet you are here. May people struggling with floods and fires know your presence and care. Help them heal and guide them in your way to rebuild as they must. War seems to be ever-present in our world. We ask for special healing for the people of Ukraine who are in a cruel and destructive war. Bring them peace. Help us all to study war no more. Lord, we also face uphills and downhills with this pandemic that we have lived with. We ask you for new vision on the part of of researchers. We ask you for understanding and caring and acceptance um, between people as we struggle. And we ask for good health. Lord, we know your wisdom and greatness has no end. And your love and forgiveness is ours forever. We thank you and praise you with all our hearts and souls. Let us fill the barns of our hearts with you. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.